All right, Impact Mouth Guards. These are the official mouth guard of USA Boxing, USA Weightlifting, uh, the United States Muay Thai Federation, amongst dozens of other organizations. These guys make custom mouth guards in that they will send you a kit to your home. They will take an imprint of your teeth. You send it back out to them and they will send you a custom mouth guard, not only a custom to your teeth exactly, but also custom designed. It's pretty cool stuff. Check it out tinyurl.com slash fighting 10 for 10% off your order. That's tinyurl.com slash fighting 10. Welcome to the Philosophy of Fighting podcast with your hosts, Arturo and Anu. So today we are here with Stephen Keffer. People know him as Sambo Steve. He is a black belt in Taekwondo Judo, but he's a master of sport in Sambo. He is a true Renaissance man. I just recently found out at one point he was a hand model. He (laughs) has taught law enforcement, even been to West Point. He was a technical advisor on the television show Human Weapon. He's done everything from training, refing. He was even like a lobbyist, one of the people that was fighting to get MMA legalized in New York State. And New York State was actually the last state to legalize it. So really, uh, Sambo Steve has a wealth of knowledge in the history of fighting and I think where fighting is going today. And I had the pleasure of learning from him. It was my very first coach. And just to give you like a little insight into the personality, when I went to my first Sambo class, I wasn't sure what to call you. So I was like, I don't know, like, is it like sensei or coach or something? And you're like, just call me Steve. (laughs) And I thought uh, that was like such a perfect way. I was like, all right, you just made me feel comfortable. And so, uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, thank you for coming here, Steve. Cool. Yeah, my pleasure, man. And uh, Arturo actually has his own way that he knows you. Yeah. So uh, I got into martial arts maybe in like 2005 or so. And yeah. at the time, SureDog, the forums on SureDog were like the biggest thing. And you were yeah. a huge resource there. Uh, you I, used were basically, to, yeah, I used to be there all the time. Not anymore. Yeah. It's been a long time, though. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. But you were basically like the go to voice online for like authenticity on everything. Cause back then it was just like a wild west of information. And yeah. So I always kind of like followed you on the Sure Dog forums. And so when I had started, a new pet asked me like years later, like, oh, where should I go? And I'm like, oh, Sambo Steve is in New York. You should go see him. <laughs> Even though <laughs> cool. I've never met you and stuff before, just knowing your online presence was, uh, yeah, pretty authentic and genuine. Yeah, it was good. Well, now we and now we finally meet. Yeah. Yeah. How funny. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It came full circle. It came. Full yeah, circle. I guess so, I can go now. I guess to get started, can you just tell us like a little bit about yourself, like where you grew up and what led you to your experiences in martial arts, like wanting to pursue this life? Sure, man. Um, well, I'm born and raised in Queens, New York. Never lived anywhere else, but I've traveled quite a bit and I've spent long periods of time in other places. But um, it's, you know, Queens has always been the home base. Um, currently live in Astoria since like 1996 i guess but i grew up originally in elmhurst new york city guy i can't see myself living anywhere else you know i love to travel i love to 
be in other places, even for long periods of time, but it's never matches the feeling of coming back home to New York. So definitely New York guy. Um, regarding martial arts, how I got started in that, it was literally like daycare karate when I was a kid. You know, my mom was a professor at Queens College. Uh, I had two working parents. So they had at the college, they had programs for kids of of people who worked at the college. And one of them was like a Shotokan karate program. So I started that when I was probably six or seven or something like that. Did that for like two years. It seems like to me, I did it a lot less, but my mom says it was about two years. So I'll take her word for it. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it, you know, I didn't continue on it, but it planted the seed for sure. And then it wasn't until about high school when I picked up Taekwondo. And then since then I've been training consistently without a break in some kind of martial art ever since. So. so was that your choice to go into Taekwondo in high school? Um, Yeah. I mean, it was like, you know, that was the days that was like pre-internet days and mm -hmm. where you just kind of, it was literally about geography and what was close. And, okay. you know, I, I knew I wanted to do some kind of martial art, but you know, why is that? Did you have like a life experience or something that provoked it or anything? No, not really, man. Okay. I, I just kind of always was interested in that kind of stuff. You know, I just hadn't gotten around to doing it until like towards the end of high school, you know? Okay. I mean, I had, I had my flaws as a high school kid. I did some stupid shit. So like uh, martial arts kind of did help straighten me out a little bit. Um, so going from Taekwondo, where did you go from there? How did, how did that manifest to other things? Yeah. Taekwondo. I left in 95, but really what started me, I, it was an interesting time to be in Taekwondo. It was like I started pre-Olympic Taekwondo and left post-Olympic Taekwondo. And I kind of saw the commercialization happening, you know, like even in my own dojo where I was training, I saw it becoming a, a money machine. I saw the quality of instruction or, or at least what was expected, like in testing and stuff like that going down. And then 93 <laughs> happened and it was the, the first UFC, man. And I remember we were at that time, I was already a black belt and teaching classes at, you know, teaching Taekwondo. A bunch of us got together to watch the first UFC on pay-per-view and it wasn't even called the UFC. It was just the ultimate fighting championship. We didn't know it would be the first, you know, so we just thought it was like, holy shit, this cool thing. Of course, we were all rooting for the strikers and stuff, you know, and then w at the end of it, we we're like, what the hell? You know, so it's like basically that moment in time was for anybody a martial that was a martial artist back then. It was literally like the Matrix. Like, OK, so you're going to pick the red or the blue pill. You're going to realize that what you're doing is not everything or are you just going to keep drinking the Kool-Aid of whatever mm. you were, you know, you were doing? Because back then it was like you just believe what you were told, you know, your, mm -hmm. your teacher would tell you he was some champion in Korea or this or that, or whatever, you know, you just believe it. There's no way to verify. I think that's why I got so into the internet because martial arts, UFC, like that whole area of combat sports evolved along with the internet, you know? So like people of my generation that were there in the early days, kind of i think our internet internet personas evolved along with the sport you know how how quickly did it take you to take that red pill like you said like after you saw the power of grappling versus like the strikers 
It was quick. I mean, listen, by by in 93, what, November of 93, was it? Or October or November of 93 was the first UFC. And then by 95, I was done with Taekwondo. I was I had moved on already. I mean, it was it wasn't only that it was also that, like, like I said before, I didn't like the direction that the the Taekwondo was going. So it was like a little of both. Mm -hmm. And And, did you immediately find Sambo or did you go to Judo first? No, no. Um, I went to, to Sanda next, you know, mm. which was like kick punch throw. And so like, even though the Kung, you know, Kung Fu still has its kind of fantasy aspects too, but um, it seemed more practical and real than what I was doing in Taekwondo. You know, I was doing more weapons and we we're actually fighting, you know, we we're actually getting in a ring and fighting. We still were doing all the, the forms and, and there was still ranking, you know, like you would get your color sashes and learn all your forms and stuff. But I was still actually punching and kicking and throwing people, you know, and we were doing like rudimentary grappling like that. Everybody in the mid nineties was doing, unless you were lucky enough to, you know, have some connection to a higher level of grappling instruction. But back then, like on underground, we were just, you know, we, or we would like, um, you know, trade videotapes, like whatever you could get and whatever you could learn and, and practice you know but i was also fortunate like even my taekwondo teacher would let us grapple would let us mess around with grappling mm. and he also was a hapkido guy so we did learn throws and so like i even knew kind of back then that i liked throwing even though it, we didn't really really develop that skill at the taekwondo school we did practice it and then interestingly he would have us as part of our warm ups do belt wrestling i don't know if you guys ever seen belt wrestling but you know, it's like where you lock, you lock in a kind of a Greco clinch, you each grabbing each other's belt, and mm. then you just try, you try and throw each other, you know, and I thought it was just some silly warm up or back then. But then I went on to discover eventually that that's like a real sport. You know what I mean? So like I did have some rudimentary understanding of that stuff, even from the Taekwondo days, but it wasn't until I started actually competing in, in Sanda and helping corner people in that stuff and Sancho and Sanda that I really started learning to incorporate strikes in the throws. But then, uh, you know, time, time came that I wanted to leave that gym and there was a Sambo coach teaching in the city. This was in like 90 after 98, like after 98, I can, you know, like I competed in a couple of grappling tournaments back then, like the first grapplers quest, I competed in that one. And then the, I did the Gene LaBelle World Grapplers Challenge in Toronto. I was never like a like a top of the line grappler. I won some, I lost some, but it was like it was like a different world back then. Grappling was so different. It wasn't so people weren't so caught up in the meta that they are now. And it was still very much connected to fighting. You know, like there weren't a lot of people that were in the grappling community that weren't also training some kind of fighting. It's, it's like a grappling school is very different now than back then. Like back then it was very common, like in your warmups and you're rolling to be like throwing slap boxing and hitting each other. Like that wasn't like a strange thing. But if, if you go to a jujitsu now, jujitsu school now, 99.9% chance you're not going to be hitting each other while you roll. <laughs> That's just, you know, do you miss that? Anymore. Do you have like thoughts on that? Do you miss that? Old school. No, well, I don't miss it because we still do it in my gym. So oh, okay, yeah, <laughs> good. <laughs> but it's I I feel like to me like my goal is like in the end I just prefer being a good 
martial arts coach and training well-rounded uh, students, you know? So like, I don't, I try not to get lost in the, you know, the rabbit hole of every little minor variation of heel hook that exists known to man and then and then disregard everything else you know mm-hmm. it's like um like if, if you want to train competitors of course you need to narrow down things like a good competitor has to have their their toolbox of stuff that works for them and if it's leg locks you have to kind of dive into that stuff or if it's triangles or arm bars or whatever but in the end anybody who knows the gym knows that the vast majority of your students are not competitors so like my goal is is really to just train well-rounded people. So getting okay. hit once in a while is part of that. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> I, I totally agree. So yeah, you're actually starting to answer some of the questions I was hoping to ask you. Uh, yeah. Like in terms of like the commercialization of the sport, do you feel like what's happening to jujitsu a little bit is what you saw a little bit with taekwondo? Because that's what I felt when I took taekwondo. I was too young to know anything, and my parents were like, "Go." And then yeah. I just realized, I was like, I got to like, I don't know what the second or third belt is, but it really was just like every six months and money. And part of it was like, I'm yeah. not even trying hard. So like, am I yeah. even? Well, I mean, that, and that was part of the thing. I remember like, I when I remember when I took my black belt test in Taekwondo, I had seen many of them over the years. Like, I think I did Taekwondo for like six years or something. Like I started just before the Olympics, like in the. 80s you know like high school like i graduated high school in uh, 86 i remember watching the black belt tests of the older guys and they were still doing shotokan forms that was even before like the official world taekwondo federation forms were created right and and they would fight like hardcore you know and and the tests were grueling and people actually failed them you know what i mean and then by the time i took mine in like 93 there were guys that were taking the test that had no business taking the test and i could already see that it was just becoming like money machine Mm -hmm. and then uh, a year later i was told oh you should test for second degree or whatever and then i was like already you know i was (laughs) like really and then like it was a lot of money for me back then i forget it was like 400 bucks or something but i was like for me i was like what the fuck like 400 dollars just to to do the same shit I do all the time with one more form included, you know, it's like the, the second degree black belt form, but everything else is the fine and maybe break, do another bunch of cool board breaks or whatever. I was like, I'm not paying that money. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, in a way it is happening with jujitsu. I mean, I'm not a jujitsu guy, so I'm not that capable of answering the question, but at least from an outsider perspective and having cross-trained jujitsu for a long time and seeing the way that the tournament circuit is, mm-hmm. It definitely is different. You know, it's, it's, it's a different animal for sure. It's, it's lost. It's in my opinion, it's lost its connection to combat Sambo and combat Sambo. And even Sambo has sport Sambo has lost its connection to its early military days. You know, it's now it's just like a sport. And even a lot of the old time Sambo guys look at the combat Sambo guys as like too brutal and like unclassy and like, like whatever, Mm. you know, you know, you'd be hard pressed to find, jujitsu brazilian jujitsu students of current generation or so that that train like the guys did in the early days where basically it was entirely connected to valet tudo and where they were actually fighting each other you know like that whole yeah aspect of jujitsu is is like an endangered species really yeah yeah so my person i have had that direct experience is uh 
back in the days when I first started training, it was pretty grueling and it was all geared for self-defense and MMA because that was the point of jujitsu back then. Um, yeah. And then I had like, I trained for like a good seven years or so. And then I had like a five-year layoff and then came back. And when I had come back, everything had changed. <laughs> yeah, everything, yeah. Yeah. So like the commercialization happened in that five-year gap. So it was very extreme for me that I went from like that to what it is kind of now. It went from, I was on a different show recently and the guy said this and it made total sense. It went from being something that's not for everybody to being something that everybody can do. Mm. You know, it went to like, like you said, grueling and difficult and fighting connected where, hey, this, not everybody is cut out for this. Now it's like, hey, jujitsu is for everybody, mm -hmm. you know, and that's how like, I'm very happy with Sambo not being for everybody. Like, I'm totally fine with that. Like, I do not want Sambo to become a household name like, like Jiu-Jitsu is. Mm -hmm. So if you can what tell for our listeners that? that may not know uh, Sambo as much as they might know Jiu-Jitsu or whatever, can you tell us some of, like, the clear distinctions between Sambo uh, and Jiu-Jitsu? And some of the things that you like, especially in terms of, like, rule set, competitions? Well, just on a surface level... You know, the point scoring is very different. Obviously, you there there's throws. There's a hierarchy of, of value, right, in Sambo competition that doesn't exist in jiu-jitsu competitions, you know, like Brazilian jiu-jitsu, that is. So, like, take throws, for example. Like, you know, there's a the hierarchy of value of throws. Like, so, like the higher impact, the higher risk throws are worth more on the scoreboard than... The, the less risky, the more safe throws. Okay. So it, it, the points can range from four points to two points to one point. And then also, you know, you can win with a perfect throw too. So it's like, there's a, there's a value system for the throws in jujitsu. Every single takedown is two points, no matter how good or shitty it is. Brazilian jujitsu has a more of a value system for throws than say sub only, right? Sub only doesn't, the only thing that matters is the sub, right? Mm -hmm. So in sub only, doesn't matter how the hell you get to the ground, as long as you get to the ground and you can control it there, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it may matter, like, if I can knock the wind out of you with a great throw, it'll matter. But I'm mm -hmm. just saying, like, you know, the culture of the sport is like, listen, you don't have to take that high risk, you know? <laughs> you, know you can just sit down. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, listen... The, the fact that you have you can have actual strategies for double guard pulls is really just fucked up in my opinion like <laughs> the fact that the fact that that even exists is like from a combative perspective mm -hmm. from being a martial artist perspective is ridiculous you know like jujitsu is the only sport in the world where the guy on his feet gets called for stalling you know like mm. if he's not engaging the guy who's on the ground and I, I don't want to sound like I'm judging it because I enjoy sub only and I enjoy all that stuff. But I'm just Same. saying from a perspective of actually training yourself in a way to deal with altercations and stuff is backwards, you know. So that's part of what I wanted to ask, like the mentality of like a Sambo practitioner versus the mentality of like a jujitsu practitioner. Because part of the reason I wanted to go to your gym and this is just when I didn't know anything, really. When I was watching right. the UFC, a lot of the jiu-jitsu guys would get stifled. And yeah. 
And it was quick to see, like, if they can't get the takedown, then they have nothing. Where I think some of the best fighters in the world at that time were Sambo guys like Andre Arlovsky and Fedor. And I just thought they had this, like, mindset. Yeah. Where they tried to take people down. So could you let me into that mindset, you think? And do you think that mindset is part of the reason it hasn't gotten so popular? Because it does take that tougher person, like you said, or... I will say that it's nice to see that that culture in jujitsu at least is changing because now people are fighting for takedowns more, you know, and it's becoming a thing. It's actually, it, I predicted it like multiple times over the years. I said, once ju the jujitsu people get done with their hard on for leg locks, then they're going to have to move on to something else. And that will be throws and takedowns mm. because what else is there really to, to add to the game? But to your question, well, actually, while I'm on that topic, it's it's going to be a d more difficult transition to to bring throws back into jujitsu. I say back into it because it did come from judo, which is obviously all throws, right? Like to add in a new submission or a new domain of submissions like leg, leg attacks doesn't really fundamentally change how you train, how you run a, a training program, how you run a class. It's just one more submission. You can still do all your warm-ups. You can still do pretty much everything the same. You're just adding new submissions to, to your arsenal. But to add throws changes quite a bit, like in how you train and the kinds of dangers that exist and the kinds of risks that exist and, and the kind of preparation you have to do with your body for that and all that kind of thing. So like, it's going to be a more difficult transition. It's obviously not impossible, you know, and you, you guys like, you know, like the prototype guys would be like um, uh, the guerrilla jujitsu guys that are judo guys and BJJ guys, you know, the Camarillo guys and stuff mm -hmm. like that, because it, the, the schools that have judo programs and jujitsu programs are going to lead the way in that department. But the rank and file BJJ schools, like the more commercial oriented schools, uh, it's going to be much harder for them to add throws in. But to your question, Anoop, I think like, look, let's be real. It's like if you're a middle-aged guy doing martial arts for the first time, you know, let's say you're 35 and you haven't done anything since, you know, high school or or whatever, you're going to pick the the gym where you have to fall and get up and fall and get up and fall and get up. Or are you going to pick the one where you can just sit down and start doing the fun shit from the beginning? Because the submission game is really fun. You know what I mean? So <laughs> yeah. it's like, yeah, I'm going to choose that one. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not going to choose the one where I'm going to jack up my knees and jack up my ankles and, and get thrown on my shoulder and, you know, like have to get up and do it again, like 200 times in a class, you know? So it's like that mentality is is different, you know? For sure. There's also another aspect of Sambo that I found very interesting that there's no belts. Although they just did again for like the fourth time, try and institute a ranking system. And I don't know, we'll see how it, how it's going to play out. Like if, it, if, if history dictates, it's going to be a big failure. Like it's always been because it's just not in the culture. You know, the culture is it's, it's a, it's a, it's more of a wrestling sport, you mm -hmm. know? And can you imagine like, going to college wrestling, like collegiate wrestling and saying like, Hey, we're going to institute this color belt system. And they'd be like, what the fuck? It's like, either you can wrestle, either you can coach or you can't wrestle and you can't coach. I mean, it's mm -hmm. simple, you know, and Sambo is like that, but there, the, you know, Fias is, has instituted a uh, ranking system mainly because they're pursuing the Olympics. 
my prediction is that Sambo will not get in the Olympics. And then when it's official that Sambo is not going to get it in the Olympics, people will stop caring about the ranking system. Hmm. Do you think there's an overall net positive by not having the ranking system? And I think it's interesting you brought up wrestling because my initial thought was like, oh, maybe because it's like Russian. And so like the culture is like kind of we're all equal. You know what I mean? Rather than like this elitist, like you're a black belt versus like a white belt. No, it's just like if you look at like I think I think it has to do with that. It's actually a combat sport. There's not a lot of commercialization about it. You know, it's like it's like Muay Thai. You know, there are people that have tried to institute Muay Thai ranking. But in overall, it's just like, no, you are just either a fighter or you're not a fighter. Same with boxing, same with wrestling, you know, same with Sambo. It's just, I, I think that the value of training should be intrinsic and not external. You know, like the, the, uh, there shouldn't be a carrot dangling in front of you. You know, I, I get it for like kids and stuff, but I think that there are much more creative, fulfilling ways to motivate people than just another color belt, you know. I mean, if, 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 what, if you are really motivated to get that belt or that stripe or whatever the fuck you, that is, <laughs> so you can post on Instagram a picture of you and another piece of tape, like, that's like, why are you training <laughs> for a piece of tape? Forget it. You know, like, that's not the motivation that I want my students to have. Mm-hmm. So I'm very happy having a smaller gym where people are motivated by actual ability and learning, you know, like uh, skill development and stuff like that. And that's not to say that the the people going for ranks don't have skill development and abilities, but I just feel like why add that extra? I mean, if, if, if you are only using it like for competition reasons, then it makes sense. But then it starts to get messy when you have recreational ranks and then competition ranks and like all this, you know, like, okay, well, I know brown belts that have been passed over for black belts by coaches, known coaches, because they won't compete enough. Meanwhile, there's other people in the same gym that have gone right up through to black belt just because they paid the money and did the put in the time. Mm. You know, So it's like, so then what does the black belt mean? And oh, now we have to qualify like, oh, that's a competitive black belt. No, it, it should mean the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I'm glad Sambo doesn't have all that rank politics stuff. I totally agree. Uh, just your philosophy that makes sense. Why add something else? No, I, I fall for that trap too. Like one of the happiest moments of my life was when I did get my blue belt. But there'd be times I would tell Arturo, like when I'm training, like, oh, I got to keep going three, four times a week. Like I want to get my blue belt. But he's like, focus on getting better. Like don't focus on getting like the blue belt. And like that's old Kung Fu stuff too. I think I read a story where like a student asked his teacher, like, uh, how long will it take me to get like my black belt, you know? And he goes, all right, well, how hard are you going to try? And he goes, very hard. He's like, all right, well, twice as long because one eye is already focused on the belt, you know, and you only have one eye focused on the path. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, and listen, man, that. that that system works for people. It just doesn't work for me. You know, mm-hmm. like I've had like the only reason I got my judo shodan essentially got it through Sambo was for the possibility of putting my guys in judo competition. I mean, that was literally, like, I really didn't care. And I've had other people ask me about getting a BJJ rank. And I was like, I don't know, I don't really need it. You know, like, what do I need it for? So I could just say that I have it. I I train guys for jujitsu tournaments, and they do well in jujitsu tournaments. So it's like, 
do I want to really become part of that IBJJF bullshit train? Like, not really. So, like, why add the frustration? You know, and the minute you do that, then you get the criticism. Like, oh, he got fast-tracked. Or, oh, he really deserves it. Or or whatever. Like, who, who gives a shit? My guys mm-hmm. win. That's all that matters, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, we'll never... We don't go into IBJJF tournaments because we're not an IBJJF gym. But we do fine in all the non-IBJJF jiu-jitsu tournaments. So don't need the rank. Yeah, I'm with that train. I like that. The one, you know, the thing that comes up with ranking, like when when we do jiu-jitsu tournaments, it's like, uh, okay, well, where do I put my guys? Like Mm. which division? So I have to kind of make a qualitative assessment just based on having been in the the scene for a while. So I'll put, uh, and Anoop, you know this from having been around the gym, but I'll say, okay, well, let's put you, because we have guys that come through and I've been around a lot. I'll be like, yeah, you're kind of like blue belt level. Let's put you in blue belt and see how you do. If you smoke the blue belt division, I'm like, you're never doing blue belt again. Like in my gym, you're, you're going up to purple, but there are other gyms that'll be like, oh, you smoked blue belt. You're going to stay there for a while and rack up all these medals. I'm Mm -hmm. like, no, that is not, that is not the way we operate. Like if you, if I put you in blue belt in your first tournament and you beat like four guys, like you're not doing blue belt again. Fuck that. You're going to purple, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I kind of just make an assessment. I, I cannot stand sandbagging and I don't want to be thought of as a sandbagger. So as someone that values kind of the combat aspect or the self-defense aspect, is there a rule set that you think is best one that you prefer? Would you like to see jujitsu change its rule set or is there just a rule set that you think is best? Uh, no, I don't think any one rule set serves the purpose I mean, I mean, there are definitely rule sets that are closer to fighting than others. Like mm-hmm. combat samba rules are closer to fighting than judo and judo, in my opinion, is closer to fighting than Brazilian jiu-jitsu, like IBJJF style, you know, and then IBJJF style is closer to real fighting than sub only. You know, there's like there's you can make it your way closer. But I think for for the practitioner, the best thing you can do is to compete in all of them right. like the the thing that separates real fights from sport fights is the fact that you have no idea what's going to happen and that there's you know there's no referee and environments change and anything can happen and you know maybe it's just going to be mono mono maybe it's not you know maybe there's going to be strikes maybe there isn't so i think to train yourself to be the most able to adapt to different environments and to be improvisational is to throw yourself into different environments, (laughs) you know, so don't compete just sub only. I mean, this, look, if you want to be, it's like Taekwondo. If you want to be an Olympic Taekwondo champion, don't do anything but Taekwondo. Mm. You know what I mean? But for the longer haul, if you want to be an effective, well-rounded martial artist who has a better chance at surviving non-sport altercations you have to compete in as many things as you possibly can and just get used to being uncomfortable and a lot of people don't like that like you know like i don't know if i want to do a sambo tournament like from a jujitsu guy i don't know if i want to do a sambo tournament because i'm just going to get thrown the fuck around okay but how are you going to learn to deal with that like just go do it go do it knowing that you're probably going to get your ass kicked like that's Mm -hmm. the point you know what i mean the same thing. It's like when I when I when I was cross training at a jujitsu school near my house for 
a couple of years. And I literally told the coach, like, listen, I'm not because they allowed leg locks, you know, like with their higher belts and stuff. And I'm like, I'm not here for that, man. I'm going to put a self-imposed prohibition on leg locks. I'm just not going <laughs> to use them. I'm, ju I'm just not going to use them in here because like I'm here to learn other stuff. I'm here for you guys to choke me out. You know, I'm here for, for all this other stuff. And like in all those years, I got submitted only just a handful of times, but they were all with chokes. It's because like I just am not as skilled with the the crazy jujitsu chokes where you're untucking your jacket and wrapping, you know, just like using all that kind of stuff. Like it's it's not my thing. So I was there to to lose <laughs> to that stuff and to learn, you know. So if you want to get really good, you got to do that. And that applies to fighting too. Yeah, I appreciate that philosophy. You always gave me good nuggets of wisdom. There's one that I always took, like when I first started, you were like, the mat is life. So what you're learning on the mat, you could apply to life. And I'm pretty sure you said your teacher said that and other teachers. And there's another one that I always take with me too. You said people that do martial arts live longer, but they live in pain. And so like I, I always try to remember that when I have like a little ache or whatever. I'm like, all Dude, right. Like, it's so true, man. It's like, I, I always joke, I'm like, I'm going to have the killer cardiovascular, but I'm going to be in a fucking wheelchair. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like, like my heart and lungs are going to be so good, but my <laughs> knees and elbows and shoulders, all the peripherals are going to be like, my CPU will be all right, but all the peripherals will be messed up. Yeah. And, and the mat is life, you know, like my notion of the mat is that that is your safe space. You know, that's the space where, it's kind of like I said, like you, your goal is to lose, you know, and that's why I can't stand when people get so aggro on the mat in a gym and get pissed off if they, you know, if, if they're losing or, or if they, you know, they're slapped the mat, God damn it. Boom. I'm like, what the mat fucking do to you, dude? This is why you're here. Mm -hmm. you, this is where you're supposed to get caught. So out there, it doesn't happen. You know what I mean? It should be about cooperation, not competition. I mean, there definitely, there definitely is time to play with competition, but the overall goal is like, hey, we're here to help each other grow, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that was one time you yelled at me and I remember I was like, oh shit. But uh, it was like also when I first started and I think it wasn't just me, but you know, you got to yelled at you. I only yelled at you one time. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the one time I remember, but I remember like, oh, let me grab the Kimura. Let me try to rip it. You know, like when you first start and you're yeah, like, yeah. don't do that. Like, it's like everybody, you're like, yeah, th that's just, you're not learning. You're just cheating. That's your friend. You're supposed to be cooperating. And I was like, all right, don't do that again. Listen, there's times, as you know, when we do in-house tournaments and we were, all right, today we're getting ready for tournament. We're getting ready for competition. You guys go at each other. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the rest of the time, you need to be able to grow, you know, and people will not feel free to take risks if they think that they will fail and then their partner will smash them. Like then they just won't take the risk. You know, the whole idea is to make the environment safe for people to take risks and try new things. Mm. And if I know that if I try a new thing and it fails, this guy's going to pummel the shit out of me. Like I'm just not going to try, mm. you know? So the whole idea is to make it safe to take risks, you know, mm -hmm. that's, that's the point. That's the whole point. Yeah. And, and I think also learn like what you said about becoming good men, because I just remember like at that point I was like teaching college for like seven years, like I was like 28 and I was like, 
nobody's yelled at me in a while. <laughs> and I was like, oh, <laughs> but I was like, it's good. Like, I was like, no, that's going to make me a better teacher. That's going to like, you know, like yeah. it's just one of those things that I think is important. I definitely yell a lot, but I'm not a yeller as it were. Like, I feel like, like from coaching perspective, sometimes students need some yelling to kind of break through that shell and like to snap them out, you know, snap you out of it. But it's just mm-hmm. not constant yelling. But as important as as that is no student should ever leave the gym without you having complimented them on something ever. I don't care if it's the most uncoordinated person on the mat that like if there was a user manual for their body, they lost it or it was printed in Chinese and they couldn't read it. And like they have no <laughs> sense of awareness of their body and it's your job is to coach as the coach to find something in their performance that they did well and to tell them that they did it well. Like they have to leave the gym knowing they did something well or else they're just not going to come back. I mean, this is how you help people grow. Mm-hmm. Like they could have been complete shit on the mat all day. It's your job to find the diamond in that pile of shit that they did something that you can compliment them on. Like you have to do it. You have to build them up that way. So nobody should walk out of your gym feeling like they did a terrible job. You know, they can walk out of the gym feeling like nothing worked for me today, but I tried harder than last time, you know, or even, even if it's like, just like, let's say they try to throw and they, they couldn't get the throw all day. But me as the coach, I noticed that at least they're gripping and their entrance to the throw was better. You still failed, but that part of it was better. Like you need to find something that they did well and tell mm-hmm. them. It's so important. I, yeah, that's why you're a great teacher and coach. You know, like you think these things through. And I always appreciated at the end of the class, we'd always have a circle where we all talk to each other. Everybody could say like what they felt about the class. And yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's important. Feedback is important. And the thing is, most martial arts teachers don't know how to teach. Like they they learn on the job, as it were. And so maybe they learned from a teacher of theirs that was not a good teacher. So they're left to figure it out, you know, and some, some are very capable of figuring it out, you know, like, well, I know what I didn't like about my teacher. So I'm going to try not to do that, but not, not everybody has that insight, you know? So it's like, uh, I'm fortunate to have a whole other life of like, you know, education and teaching. So, so that's partially what I wanted to segue into. You do. You graduated from uh, the School of Visual Arts, right? And you also mm-hmm. got your master's from Hofstra. Yeah. yeah. You also are now doing a lot of stunt work. I think you're in the SAG union. Yeah. Right? And I think, yep. and one of the things me and Arturo have always been trying to do, we're not like trying to gear this podcast towards like the actual MMA people, but like people that are interested, you know, like and trying to yeah. get involved into it. Yeah. And so you have all these careers that are also tangent to martial arts. Yeah. Even like lobbying to get it into MMA into New York. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. Like what brought you to that other side? I mean, martial arts has basically been around in, in my life pretty much from the beginning. But I never thought of it as a career. Like it literally like I remember my dad had a friend in the fire department who was a martial artist. And then like when he retired from the fire department, he opened a little dojo. And I remember even when I was younger saying, oh, that sounds like a good plan. Like, I'll have my job 
And then when I retire, I'll have this to do. But I just retired a lot earlier, you know, <laughs> basically, you know, like, because I was always doing martial arts, you know, like I just went on my career path, which wasn't martial arts, but martial arts was always there, you know? So like um, my path, my life's path has been pretty windy, you know, it's been all over the place. And uh, the things that I, you know, when I worked, I worked for people not that don't know, I worked as an art therapist in pediatric oncology and intensive care. So I was a, you know, essentially I did medical education and counseling and um, uh, medical prep and support groups for kids and their siblings and families and all this kind of stuff. But it all focused on um, hematology, oncology, intensive care, pediatrics and stuff like that. So, um, and then I went to SVA originally for advertising. I got a scholarship for advertising. And the original goal was to get into movies. Like that was what I wanted to do when I was in high school. I wanted to do movies. And, um, you know, even as a kid, I was making movies on, you know, Super 8 when I was really young. And then later on VHS and I went to camp. Like when I was a kid, I went to summer camp for filmmaking. Huh. And so, th and when I was in, in high school, it was a magnet school for the arts, you know? So um, I, at that time I was also, you know, I'm also a musician. So I didn't know, did I want to be an artist or a musician or like what I want to do something like that. And then, uh, so I went art cause I got a scholarship to school of visual arts for advertising and graphic design. And the goal at that time was I want to get into movies. I want to make movies because I was really into like behind the scenes stuff, like special effects and like um, like one of the most influential movies for me was American Werewolf in London. It was like the first film to get an Oscar for makeup effects. Right. And it was like that stuff was really cool. And all the behind growing up, all the behind the scenes stuff of like Star Wars and, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark. I was so into like how they did everything you know, how they made everything. Like the movies were great, but what really got me excited was like all the behind the scenes stuff. So I figured I would use advertising as a way to learn how to make movies, you know, and in, in some way it worked. Like I thought, I, you know, I'll just make commercials, like 30 second movies, 60 second movies. And so at SVA, I obviously learned all the foundation art stuff that you have to do at SVA. But then like, I also learned art direction and storyboarding and copywriting and and all the other stuff that you have to do in advertising. But I, in my second year at SVA, I took an intro to art therapy class and then I got hooked on that, you know? Oh. So it totally, it totally diverted my plan. I just started working in art therapy when I got out of college and then I went to grad school for it, you know? And uh, so that was my career plan. And then I worked at Maimonides Medical Center in Brooklyn for about 10 years. And then, um, it, you know, it just, but the, so with regards to the movie thing though, like in 2006, like this thing, YouTube came along, you know, and I, I was like, oh, I can start making videos, you know? So I started making Sambo instructional videos and stuff on YouTube. And that is actually how I got drawn back into the TV and film world was because of my YouTube channel. It was literally just because I was one of the first, you know? And like, so there's no other Sambo channel at that time besides mine. And um, that's what got me into like working on Human Weapon was my YouTube channel. They found me on YouTube. That's how the 8711 guys, the John Wick guys found me like mm. through YouTube, you know? So it's like YouTube, I have YouTube to thank for a lot of shit, you know, including like students at the gym, you know, it's like a lot of pot. I don't 
sink a lot of money into advertising. It's all just YouTube and stuff like that that people found me. And like through in the old days, like through forums, underground mm-hmm. and sure dog and stuff like that. But 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 to your point, like my my life path is always pretty crazy. So like always in the background was martial arts and making videos and doing stuff, even though I had like a day job. And then like when my Sambo coach moved back home to Russia in 03, I basically took over. And then by 05, I this the, my program was enough that I had to decide, like, do I want to keep working at the hospital or do I want to sink my life into the, the gym and make that work? It, it, it had grown as much as it was going to grow while I was working a full time job. So mm-hmm. I took the risk and quit, you know, and that was in 05. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah. So uh, you had some of these. um people reaching out to you based on YouTube and stuff. And uh, how did that manifest into a uh, stunt work and getting into more movies? Well, tell us about that yeah. process. I'm sure listeners would be really interested in that. Yeah. It's like, um, you know, like, like I said, I was always interested in film growing up, but, and I, of course I knew there's this thing called a stunt man, but I never even considered that. Honestly, you know, I never considered that as a, an option. And then it wasn't until, fortunately, I had had enough notoriety and expertise in martial arts that, um, and not only in martial arts, but the kind of martial art that started to become in demand, you know, like the Sambo style, like that was a big part of it too. Like I could have probably been like a judo guy or jujitsu guy and not have had the opportunities that I had, but it's because I was a Sambo guy. And because like these TV shows were starting to look at like sort of esoteric and, you know, martial arts that people didn't know about. And then the John Wick folks, like they knew from day one that John Wick was going to supposed to be like a Sambo guy and like, you know, and Russians are becoming the bad guys again. So, you know, like all this, like, you know, it's like all that kind of stuff. So it was like a lot of it was timing, but it's not just timing. Like, people have opportunities presented to them every day and it's you either accept it and walk through the door or you don't accept it and walk, you don't use close the door. So just because somebody reaches out to you because they like your YouTube channel, you have to make a decision. Like I can fucking do this Mm -hmm. or, or no, this isn't for me. You know, like, I don't know if I can do that. And far more people believe that they can't do things Mm. than believe that they can do things. But for me, it was like, Oh shit. Yeah. I want to work in TV. I can do this, you know? So in 2007 was human weapon. Uh, that was like my first real kind of TV job. And then it just started slowly growing from there. You know, it just became like sort of this self feeding cycle. Like I would get a little bit of reputation points from doing a gig like that. And then I would continue to put stuff up on YouTube and the channel would grow. And then, you know, like, and then our guys would do well in tournaments, you know, and then it all ties into the fighting for MMA stuff, too, because like mm-hmm. that was putting me in the media, like people in the media were learning about me from that perspective, like mm. going on talk shows and, you know, being interviewed on ESPN and, you know, like stuff like that. Like so like all those things were putting my name out there, you know, so it all kind of just coalesced into this big like stew of stuff that eventually led to where I am now trying to make it in the, the film industry. Like I'm definitely moving away from coaching fighters, which I don't really enjoy much anymore to getting more involved in television, film, stuff like that. 
Um, what would be like the biggest difference in terms of that? Like as being a martial artist, was there anything like getting into that realm where you felt was like a stark contrast to what you had been doing as a martial artist? Yeah, absolutely. Like when you're doing fighting for film, you don't have to be practical at all. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like when you're, when you're training fighters or grapplers or competitors, everything is about what works and what doesn't right. work. When you start doing choreography and fighting and learning about how to do that stuff for the screen, it doesn't matter if it works or not for real. It like literally doesn't matter. So like you can go back to play fighting. You can just, it's so much fun, dude. Like, come on, <laughs> who doesn't want to get paid to play dress up and do cool shit? You know, mm -hmm. it's like run around with guns, get shot, play cowboys and Indians, do fights, you know, fly on a wire, you know, fall like crazy. Like, it's a dream job, you know, mm. it's great. And it's such a nice segue or it's a nice um, continuation of my martial arts career. But, you know, martial arts won't make you can't survive in the stunt industry just as a fight guy, because then this is the other aspect I like of it. You have to start. You have to go back to school. You know, you have to start learning all this other stuff mm. like how to drive, how to stunt drive, how to mm. do, how to do rigging, how to get, you know, what do you do if you get set on fire? Like falling, <laughs> falling from your feet is one thing falling from 30 feet. is another thing, you know, like, so there's, you, you're just going back to school and I love learning, you know? So that's the other great part of this. No, I was going to say, I saw a video that you posted where you fell down 30 stairs, like as like a yeah. stunt. I was just like, I was like, wait up, they really do that? Like I like I couldn't yeah. believe they did that. I was like, oh my God. Dude, let me tell you something. Do you know the number one way that people die in their home, not for medical reasons, is falling downstairs. You know that? Yeah. No. It's so fucking dangerous. Tripping and falling downstairs is so dangerous. But I will tell you, Anoop, that all the back rolls and forward rolls that you've done over the years will save your ass. Mm -hmm. For real. For real. Like, I learned basically learning how to back roll over your shoulder and to protect your head and neck and learning how to forward roll over your shoulder and to protect your head and neck is literally how you go downstairs. That's how you roll downstairs. Okay. You, already, you already know how to do it. You just don't know you know how to do it. The things that you have to worry about on stair falls are like banisters and anything that your hands or feet or whatever might get caught in mm. while, while you're rolling down the stairs. You know, you could heel hook yourself if your your foot gets stuck between the wall and a banister or something like that. Yeah, that would be miserable. <laughs> but uh, actually, I, I want to take one of your classes um, and you, you teach stunt work now, correct? At the gym? no. No, we don't teach stunt work. We we just have a training group of stunt people that train together. Mm. And then oh. we 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 teach you can't it, the thing is you can't really teach stunt work. It's very much like uh learn on the job. I mean, you have to have fun foundation skills. Like people hit me up all the time like, "Oh, I want to do that." I'm like, "Okay, well, first question, why do you want to do it?" Because it's like somebody, I always say, it's like somebody says they want to be an actor. I'm like, oh, well, how bad do you want to be an actor? Are you going to put in tons of money in training and auditions and this and that for the 95% chance that you will not make it? And so are you willing to 
put everything else aside and just do that and potentially lose the entire investment. So now you have to ask about stunts. Like you cannot do it as a hobbyist. You just can't. You can't do stunts like you do jujitsu or sambo as a hobbyist and go once once in a while or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like you have to be all in. So when I made the decision to try and make this a thing, I quit as the coach for USA Combat Wrestling. Like I I the, I quit basically every single other responsibility that I had except for running the studio. And then I made the studio part of my stunt identity, you know, by inviting stunt performers into the studio mm. and really getting to know the community that way. But you will spend so much time and money developing skills that you may never have a chance to use ever. Uh, a buddy of mine who owns a gym asked me, he said he wanted to do it. And then I had this, I had the hard talk with him. I was like, all right, why do you want to do it? He goes, well, I thought it'd be great extra income. I'm like, nope, that's mm-hmm. not why you do this. I'm not even joking. In the last five years, I've easily laid out probably between trainings and workshops and editing software and cameras and time. I've probably laid out like $40,000 easy. Barrett, maybe I probably at this point, five years later, made it back, but you got to be willing to do it. And if you own a gym, like my friend who, who owns the gym, who is asking about it, I'm like, okay, what are you going to do if they call you and say, can you work tomorrow? Are you able to cancel your classes? Are you able to close your gym? Do you have enough people to cover your classes? Like I was able to do it because after all these years of running a gym, I have enough senior students that you know, like Tyga and Tommy and Tom and all the people that were covering classes for me and Victor and everything. So like, I almost never had to close the gym, but if you don't have that, you have to be willing to say, well, I want to do stunts so badly that I'm willing to shut down my gym for a day or a week or a month. You know, like when I worked on that show devs out in California, so I was on a weekly contract. So oh, I like that. That was like, Oh yeah, it was a great show. Man. Yeah. So I was I was um, the stunt double for Kenton, the the security chief. Oh, cool! Very cool. Yeah, that scene where he's up on the ledge trying to stop her from jumping. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, that was wow. that was I was the double for that. Oh, awesome! But um, but my point is, is like I had to leave New York for like ten days. You know what I mean? So I luckily have enough coaches that will run my classes for me. If you don't have that, you got to close your gym. So you just have to decide what's more important. So you got to be all in. So the first thing I tell people is if you're not willing to lose everything, don't, don't do it. You have to really want to do it. You have to be passionate about it. Makes sense. You know, I came to learn about Jackie Chan as a martial artist and a stunt man. And then I look at his highlight reel of stunts and I'm like, man, this guy's incredible. I mean, who doesn't love a good stunt, right? So as someone that's actually in the field, is there a stunt man where you'd be like, oh, if you haven't seen this guy's highlight reel, you should. Oh my God. There's so many, man. There's so many. I mean, I mean, Jackie Chan and all the Hong Kong guys are special because they, they're very, they do a lot of practical, practical, everything's practical. That's, it's really them. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like Jackie Chan doesn't have a stunt double. <laughs> right. I mean, he actually does, but you know, but the guy doesn't really work that much, you know, mm-hmm. but it's like, like take Tom Cruise. They all talk about, you know, like he's does all his own stuff and he does, but he has a stunt double. Mm-hmm. They, you know, Tom Cruise isn't getting strapped to the outside of an airplane until somebody else test, tests that to make sure it's good. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? 
but Tom Cruise is also mega rich and can put in the time or the training and he's all in, you know what I mean? Like I know the coordinators, the stunt coordinators for like the mission impossible movies and stuff are like, if Tom Cruise had decided to be a stuntman, he would be like one of the top guys, you wow. know what I mean? But you have to be able to be all in. But in terms of like, is there a, a guy that I dig? Like mm-hmm. there's so many, there's so many, like any of the guys from 8711, like just one off to the top of my head is this guy, Jeremy Marinas. He's, he's pretty amazing. Like if you watch him, like his, his tricking ability and his fighting ability and all that stuff is great. Like if you really like the fighting stuff, mm-hmm. but it's like, there's also like, uh, my friend Becca, she's like one of the best stunt drivers out there. You should see her real. It's like fucking insane, dude. Like the way she, she drives cars, you know, she also does live show car stunts and she's just badass when it comes to cars, you know. What's her full name? Then, I'll definitely look. Uh, Becca GT. Just look up Becca GT. Okay. She goes by that. There's just so many, dude. There's so many. It's like the great thing about this business is like there's no one way in everybody has something that gets them in like a skill that gets them in. Like for me, it was Sambo, right? You, something gets you in meaning even before you get in, you have to get into the union. That's a whole separate challenge. Mm. So, but once you get in the union, everybody gets into stunts for something like maybe you're a pro skateboarder, you know, maybe you're Tony Hawk and they needed you for, to do a skateboard stunt in a movie so that you got in the union, but now what? how many skateboard stunts are there in movies, you know? Mm -hmm. So now you got to start learning all the other stuff. Same for me. I mean, I got in quote unquote as a fight guy, but it wasn't, it was years before I got to really work on real fights. Like the whole first bunch of years, literally running, falling down, getting killed, getting shot, getting just falling down. (laughs) The reason, the reason we're, you're called a fall guy is because that's what you are. You know, you're, it's, that's what you do. It's like, uh, you know, it's like a ground pounder. They call them a ground pounders, not like MMA, but because mm. that's what we do. We pound the ground. You double the actor who has to do a fall through a table, through this, get tackled. Like I, like I just worked on that show pose. And unfortunately they cut the whole entire scene out, but the scene was, um, that happens a lot too. That's frustrating. But, um, the scene was, I get a big plate glass window you know you know what squibs are squibs are like little explosives right okay so like usually when you see a window shatter like if somebody hits like a window with a baseball bat like in real life it doesn't shatter into all those little pieces but mm-hmm. you want it to be cinematic so they rig up the window with with explosives mm-hmm. and t- and time the explosion time the squibs with when the bat hits the window or whatever mm-hmm. so like the scene was where i i'm doubling this actor who's locking up a store and the store is going to get robbed it's like a dress store and so a bunch of mafia guys come with a crowbar and smash the glass all over him right and then charge in and tackle him so that was me i was like i get the glass squid all over me and then my friend tom plays who's also a stunt coordinator who's big way bigger than me tackles me to the ground bam right so we have to do that a bunch of times do it from this camera angle do it from that camera angle but this is what i'm saying like the majority of what you're going to do is is hit the ground in the beginning until coordinators learn to trust you you know it's like it's like anything else you're going to start my first jobs were simple running with a gun 
get shot, fall over. Then they then they start to realize like, oh, okay, Steve knows how to handle himself on a set. He's not an asshole. We can spend 16 hours a day with this guy. Mm. He hits his mark. He does, you know, you have to prove yourself. And then so every time you do something, no matter how minor it is on screen, you prove yourself a little more and then it just kind of compounds, you know, then somebody takes a chance on you. Oh, we're going to do something new. Like the coordinator will call you up. Hey, uh, are you afraid of how are you at heights? You know, like the devs thing. <laughs> how are you at heights? Oh, I'm cool with heights. Like, OK, cool. This is what we're going to do. Uh, the biggest thing is that you never say you can do something you can't do. Mm. Never, ever. They'll call you up and say, hey, can you do a car hit? Can you get hit by a car? <laughs> Be honest. Listen, I've never been hit by a car, but I'm down to work on it with you if you think I'm the right person. You know, don't mm. say like, oh, hell yeah, man. Balls to the wall. I'll hit the car. Uh, you know, like, mm. no, that's not it. You have to be super honest. The reputation of stunt people as being like kind of these wild cowboys, it's actually quite the opposite. Mm. It's like very, very scientific, very, it's all about minimizing as much risk as possible. One of the things you worked on that I wanted to know a little bit more about was John Wick. Yeah. It is such a cult classic and how you said they were really focused on Sambo. And then even some of your students were extras, right? And John Wick yeah. too? In three, in three, in three. yeah. Yeah. How do you feel that do you think John Wick properly showed off like Sambo? Do you think it popularized it a little? And like, what did you do on set? Did you enjoy? Yeah. So the first it's John Wick 2, I just went in for a couple of days to show them some types of throws and stuff. Like I didn't do much more than that. I wasn't on screen. I didn't do anything like that. Like I went in and worked with the stunt team. I was invited in. I wasn't even the union in the union yet. And so this is like I was telling you, you these opportunities, you have to accept them. Like I got a call from the director's assistant. Would you would, would you be willing to come in and work with us on showing us some Sambo style throws and things? The gauntlet was just thrown down. You could say yes or no. Of course I said yes. Who wouldn't mm -hmm. do that? You know, so I went in and it was basically like a couple hours of me working with an uke and them spitballing ideas. Okay, well, if he has a gun in this hand, he can only use one hand for a throw. How might a Sambo guy do it? You know. Like they're all seasoned martial artists. Like my Uke was a black belt under Eric Paulson, right? Hmm. And um, he, uh, his name's Eric Brown. And then um, you've got like they're all like high level martial artists. It's not like my job was to show them how to do stuff. It was my job was to show them how a Sambo guy might do stuff. You know hmm. what I mean? Like that was the difference. And then so I did that for a few hours, and they filmed it, and then they invited me to come back and just watch. You know, so it's like a mini internship. Like, so again, at that point, I could be like, oh man, well, I got to teach these days. Like, nope, I'm closing the gym. I'm going to go with, I'm going to go watch how they do things, you know, go watch how they train Keanu, uh, go the stunt coordinator was JJ Perry, who like kind of showed me how they set everything up, how they location scout, how they, you know, like all this kind of stuff. It was like totally cool. And then um, for John Wick three, because I had, done that in john wick 2 when they set up production again in new york i got a call again from the director hey so we're going to reveal you know that wick's a sambo guy and there's this whole big sambo aspect to the movie there's gonna be a sambo training facility and all this kind of stuff you want to help us with that i was like yeah totally like i didn't do any stunts in in there like my job i was in i was in three as a coach in that scene like you could see me as a coach in there but 
like that was really not the main part of my job. Like what I did was help audition all those kids that were in that scene, all the, all the Sambo kids that were training in that scene, all auditioned. We held the auditions at my gym. I coordinated the auditions for casting and for, you know, the director and everything. And then, and the stunt coordinator. And then once we selected the kids, I also worked with wardrobe and uh, for this is how an authentic uniform is. I, I brought them all different kinds of samples of uniforms and stuff and then provide a video of what actual Russian gyms look like. Hey, this is, these are the places I've mm. trained. This is what a poor, like a poor underfunded gym looks like. And this is what a state funded gym looks like. And, you know, gave them reference. And then um, on the day of the shoot, I was literally there just to be in the background as a coach, you know, just as like kind of like a kudos for all the other help. But then the director asked me to coordinate like what all those guys were doing. So like when, you know, you see the two guys over here grappling and two guys over here grappling, guys throwing, people in the background doing drilling. Like I was the one who like was directing what what they were doing. I gave the two grappling pairs like a four move sequence because I knew the scene would only be like 30 seconds or something. Mm. So I gave them four moves that they could do over and over again in a loop and just keep doing that loop, you know, like a really basic choreography and the throwers, those guys are the Collier brothers. You can look them up on Instagram. They're great. Look up a uh, Collier judo method. And I didn't tell them how to throw They're They're great judo guys. But I was, again, I was just giving little pointers like, Hey, th- make it look like this a little more Sambo like, you know? Yeah. So it was cool. So I did that for week three. So like in terms of Anoop, your question, like, did it reflect Sambo? Like, obviously what Wick does is not any one style. It's not Sambo. It's not Judo. It's not Aikido. It's not Jiu-Jitsu. It's all just what looks good on camera. It's like I said before, it's all for the service of the story. You know, that's it. doesn't have to be practical. But the difference is, is that what he uses is real stuff. It's like he's actually doing stuff. So it feels believable and dynamic. The flow of it, the combination of the moves isn't the way a real fight would go, but those individual moves are are legit. You know what I mean? So it makes it feel viscerally more real. There was definitely something special about John Wick because, I mean, the action revenge movie has always been done. And I just remember it wasn't so like, it's not like there was a huge marketing budget behind it. Like everybody has to watch John Wick. But then John Wick came out and everybody was like, yeah, this is fun. <laughs> you know, and it was like, yeah. cool, and it kind of became bigger. John Wick one was just an indie film that they didn't know was, was really going to make it. I mean, cause you know, Vlad Kulikov is in John Wick one. And the, so the 87 11 guys had come by my gym for that saying, Hey, we need Russians to play bad guys and stuff. Like, do you know anybody? <laughs> and I, and I sent, I gave Vlad the, uh, the info for the audition and he got cast. Right. But at that time, that was what, like 2013 or something i don't know i like stunts wasn't even on my radar as a thing yet so i didn't i met all these top level stunt guys i just really had no idea who they were you know hmm. maybe as almost like uh an homage to maybe some coaches that you have had that have had a huge influence on you that people should know about huh yeah well obviously my sambo coach alex barakoff uh was super influential to me but uh and igor koronoi in terms of sambo igor koronoi in russia I've gone to train with him a bunch of times over there. But honestly, there's been a bunch of coaches that I haven't trained a ton with, but I've taken like workshops with or I've gone done some training camps with because 
you know, the thing is like, once you kind of have, like, I was in a situation where like, um, when Alex moved back home to Russia, then I was just on my own, you know? And I think everybody that becomes a, that opens the school and becomes a teacher will ha- will hit a point where they kind of feel like they're on their own. Like, just like being a fighter, you have to force yourself to go learn new shit and be uncomfortable. And, uh, but I would say one of the most influential coaches that I've trained with here, and I've done a couple of training camps with him is Matt Lindland. Mm-hmm. Like he is just, was just amazing to train with. Like I would, if anybody ever has an opportunity to train with him, I would say jump at it mm-hmm. guys, just like insanely skilled and, and talented. And the way he coaches is very much like the way I appreciate, you know, I mean, probably why he's uh, an Olympic coach for our Greco team, but uh, he's fountain of knowledge, dude. And, and like, he literally changed I can't, there aren't too many coaches I can say made me change the way I understand things, but he definitely did. There's a lot of coaches where I was like, oh, I never, like the longer you train, the less often you see new things, you know? Mm -hmm. So like, and there are bunches of coaches and people I've trained with that are like, have showed me things that I've never seen before, but there's not too many that completely changed how I understand how to engage people. And Mm -hmm. like, so the way that Lindlin teaches the approach to clinching, especially, you know, from a Greco perspective, especially completely changed my game. Like he completely changed it. The aesthetic of Greco being like only upper body clinching and stuff. It very much lends itself to like Jack to throwing and jacket work, but yeah, he definitely contributed huge amounts to my stand up uh, clinch game for sure. It'll it's never been the same since I trained with him. Wow. So yeah, shout out to Matt and Lindland. Yeah, and sure. he's just a super cool dude. You know, we used to host the Samba Summit, which was like our ASA annual training camp, but we would do it in a different city every year. Uh, we had a guy that was in our association that trained over at Team Quest, you know, in Oregon. And um, Lindland offered to host, host it there. And he refused to accept rent. You know, he wouldn't let us... And then even our liability insurance, we were like, all right, well, give us your information. We'll put you on our policy. They're like, nope, we, we will cover that. And then he was like, hey, you know, would it be okay if I taught a session at it? And I was like, are you kidding me? Are you <laughs> kidding me? You know, and he threw on the gi and, and, and taught, taught a, a session. Wow. And then uh, a year or two later, when we held our combat wrestling training camp in Colorado Springs, by that time, he was coaching at the Olympic Training Center. And then he hit me up. He's like, hey, man, I'd love to come by your training camp and coach at your training camp. And again, wanted no money, like would refuse if we offered to pay him, he wouldn't take it, you know. And so in that one, he taught, you know, he taught like his clinching series, his Greco approach, his approach to clinching. But he also we have we had at our training camps, we had a coaching session, like where we would do like a round table with all the all the coaches there to talk about how to coach like coaching. And he, he participated in that. He donated like private lesson and tour at the Colorado Springs Olympic training center for a fundraiser we were doing like guys, just guys, just awesome. He's just such a good dude. Nice. So super influential to me. Like, and I've only trained with him. Like I've done like what I think like three camps with him or something, but it's like super good dude. Train with him if you can. Yeah. 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 I guess to, finish off steve to go with the name of the podcast the philosophy of fighting i guess could you just give two pieces two pieces of advice one to people that are thinking about getting into martial arts like they might be that middle-aged guy you talked about earlier 35 that's unsure 
and then also somebody that is competitive, you know, that mm. maybe wants to take it a, a step further. It's just like one maybe nugget of wisdom from each. I just be honest about your ability that it always comes down to that. Like no matter what your goal is in martial arts, don't lie to yourself about what you can and can't do and what you are and are not willing to do. Every success or failure in my estimation comes from, from the ability to be honest with yourself. And what that means is accepting criticism. That's not positive. I would say lastly, when you're looking for a place to train, forget all the pomp and circumstance and fame and, and, you know, maybe they have like a noted this or that, like you have to seriously look at your goals and then try out a bunch of places and just really feel it, like really feel it. Don't buy into the sales pitches and all that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Like really feel, does this place feel like I can hang out here for years and really learn? Is it the place where I feel safe to take risks? Like what we were talking about before. Like, are there 50 people on the mat with one instructor? Like how much attention is going to be paid to me in my development? Or is it 10 people on the mat and one instructor? Or like whatever. But these are all the things you have to look at. You know, it's like, don't base your decision on geography, which is still what a lot of people do, like whatever's closest to them. If there's a better place further away, like you, it's worth traveling to. Like there may be a jujitsu school right up the street from you, but maybe the jujitsu school on the other side of the city is better. And then you just have to like better for you, not better, you know, mm -hmm. qualitatively better for you for like how you learn. Mm -hmm. Are you willing, are you going to be the guy who's like goes once a month and wastes money? Are you going to be the guy who's all in? Like, don't be that guy that needs to feel like a man once a month and goes to jujitsu to do it. Like yeah. that's, I mean, you're basically just giving the gym free money and then you're that asshole on the mat that doesn't <laughs> know how to stay calm, be calm. You know, everybody knows who you are. Like we don't know who you are. Right. We know that you're the guy that never shows up. And when you do, you can't fucking calm down and you can't learn and relax. We all know that you're that fucking guy. You know what I mean? So don't be that guy, you know, be the guy that people will be willing to spend hours and hours and hours on end with, you know, that's who you need to be. But again, to my original point, just be honest about what you can do. Be a martial artist first and a fighter second. A martial artist, they're not mutually exclusive. Martial artists may not be a fighter. Fighter may not be a martial artist, but they can both be both. You know, in my opinion, the way that you can tell if a fighter is really a martial artist is what does he do when he's not fighting anymore? You know, like that mentality of just training for the competition and then being lazy the rest of the time, you want to have the opposite of that. You should actually be training your ass off when there's no competition and then dialing it back when you have a competition coming up. You know, the guys that feel like they got to go crazy, lead up to the competition, blah, 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 blah. And then as soon as it's over, they just fucking eating Burger King and sitting on the couch. You know, it's like, whatever. Don't be that guy. So that's that's what I would say. Like, just be in it because you want to be a good martial artist. It's like the guys that walk in the gym, like, I want to fight. Okay, great. You know, <laughs> it's like I get emails all the time. And, it's, and I ask three questions. Whenever somebody emails me about the gym, I ask three questions. I, you know, one is business. Like, all right, how'd you hear about us? You know, two, have you trained martial arts or combat sports before? Three, what's your goal? You know, what's your training goals? Like, why do you want to, what do you want to get out of this? Mm -hmm. And there's such revealing. So, so first of all, for anybody listening, if you ignore those three questions, you're already on my shit list. So like, <laughs> if you ignore the questions, you can't answer three basic questions. Why would I want to train you? Okay. 
Two, I literally had a guy recently who like, I want to fight. I want to fight. And then I was like, because we've instituted the policy. Now you need a referral to get in. Like basically the way I'm, I'm running the gym now is like a real school. Like we have periods of open enrollment during the year where anybody can try a class. But the rest of the year, if you miss those, if you miss those open enrollment periods, you're going to either wait for the next open enrollment period or you need to have somebody that's going to vouch for you. Mm. You know what I mean? And what I've already found in a very short amount, short period of time is that the quality of students taking the trial classes has skyrocketed. Like if you don't know somebody that we know that's willing to vouch for you and put their name to you, then you have to wait. You have to wait for our open enrollment periods. And we only do that three times a year, you know? Hmm. So like basically we reopened like for actual physical classes like uh, in May and for people with references and then i've been telling everybody well june is open enrollment holy shit june came along and we're flooded with trial classes like Mm -hmm. it's insane but the quality of student has gone up because like either you get a reference from somebody i trust or you're willing to wait you know and the people that are willing to wait usually the people that are serious you Mm -hmm. know what i mean so yeah, so far we've get, we've had really great experience with this. Just treating it like a real school, you know, like you can't walk into Queens College into a class and just say, "Hey, I like, can I sit in in this class?" And hey, I know your tuition is X, but what if I give you Y? No, that's not how it works, dude. Mm-hmm. It's like we're a school. The toughest math test. <laughs> just like yeah. <laughs> and dude, I don't know what it is. Maybe I'm going to sound like an old fart right now, but young people today have no idea what a fucking reference is. Hmm. I can't even tell you how many people, well, how do I get a reference? How do I get a referral? I had (laughs) one guy, one guy literally, even after I said, you need to know somebody we know who's willing to vouch for you. That's what a reference is. So how do I do that? Do I just keep going to events until I meet somebody that knows you? (laughs) Like, no, that's not how it works. (laughs) And I I literally am getting contacted every single week by people who don't understand the concept (laughs) of a reference, of of a referral, you know? Like, dude, it's not that complicated. Like, what do people not have to get references for for things anymore? Like, I don't get it. It's, It's a basic concept. I, I think uh, we're all getting old and I think the younger, some of the younger generation is getting dumber in some ways, but I really, and I tell my students this all the time. I'm like, we all need to start doing some martial arts or something else because like sometimes when I'm in class and I want to teach them something and they're just not paying attention, like part of me just, I get it. Cause I was that type of student too. Like, you know, where I would fall asleep in the back, but then yeah, when, yeah. I'm in, when I'm in your classes or like Sambo, jujitsu, wrestling, it's impossible to not pay attention, right? Because somebody's arm dragging you and taking you down. And so I think like hopefully more younger people start doing stuff like this. And this is just like a little bit of a hiccup in the road, you know? Well, yeah, I feel like I'm contributing to the educate. You, like I said, it's like we teach more than martial arts. We, we teach daily living skills. <laughs> it's like, you know, what's one of the most pathetic things is how few people actually know how to use a broom properly. Like to use a fucking broom when I say, okay, start sweeping. And they, they literally, I'm like, dude, when's the last time you swept the floor? Like, it's like, 
that's a push broom. Why are you dragging it backwards like that? Or, <laughs> you know, or it's like people don't like, dude, elbow grease. I sound like my father. Put some elbow grease in that. Use your fucking hands. Wax on, wax off, man. It's like it's unbelievable. It's there's so much more to training in the gym. Like you said, it's like just common decency, like how to how to be with people, like how to handle disappointment and struggle. You know, like when you're on the mat and things don't go your way, you you are literally learning how to handle disappointment and struggle. And that will carry over into your regular life. No, I was going to say, like, when I correct you, you're learning how to behave when your boss corrects you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it's just it's just a microcosm of the world. So the fact that people don't know what references are, I'm like, this is my my little contribution to the young generation. I'm going to teach you what a fucking reference is, okay? Mm-hmm. And just to go on what you're saying about learning, I think one thing also, and you mentioned it vaguely earlier with like, oh, I want to study from this teacher. He's got like some championships somewhere. But I learned like from your class, because you always had different people teach. You'd have Taiga and Tommy and... Anthony, like, you know, and it wasn't like, oh, should I be learning from this person? He only is like a blue belt level or purple. It's like, no, everybody has something to teach. Yeah. And changed my whole perspective where like, I've almost never had a bad teacher now. Cause like, as long as it's one class and like, like I'm learning one thing at least from each person or their style. And, and yeah, I think that was like one thing I also definitely took from your gym and just cool. just respect everybody a little bit more now because I'm like, they're good at that. Tandem to that is when people feel like when schools don't let you cross train, you know, that's a big no, no. And then at least I think I do see the value. Like if you're brand new to grappling and you've picked a judo school or a jujitsu school, a sambo school, whatever. Yeah. Don't cross train. You need to build a foundation. You need like cross training is only valuable if you have like some kind of context to put the new information in. It's like adding components to your to your computer or something. Like if you don't have the basic computer, you're not going to be able to upgrade the RAM or add a new part or like whatever. So like you regarding cross training, you should train for a while and get a foundation before you start trying to add stuff to it. But once you've got that, I've always been opposed to the mentality that people, you know, some coaches don't want their students cross training. And I just feel that that's insecurity. They're there. They don't believe that they can maintain students without forcing it. And then the second thing is like when people teach what they really don't know, you know, it goes back to what I was saying before. Don't, don't do say you can do something that you can't. Like if people ask me about like whatever X guard or something, I'll be like, well, here, look, Here's the basics that I know, but this is not my wheelhouse, you know, so you need to go to somewhere else to learn that, or we got to find somebody else who could show it to you Mm -hmm. because I understand the basics of it, but I'm not an expert at it. You know, it's not my thing by being honest as a coach. That's how you retain students because they know that you have their best interest at heart. If you're the guy that's like, you can't go train there, you can't go do this, then you can't, I, I don't think anybody would experience that without questioning well do you really have my best interest at heart if you're Mm -hmm. not going to let me go experience something else Mm -hmm. so that's that's a big red flag for all the people looking at schools so i'm going to take that lesson and it seems as though you've applied it on the mats as well as in your stunt work and as well as your teaching just being honest with yourself right and yeah in such a way yeah yeah that's that's the key man 
the, the, the be honest with yourself and don't be a dick. I think that's like the, 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 the miracle of life right there. Like people, what's the meaning of life? I'll, the meaning of life is don't be an asshole. <laughs> like if you cannot be an asshole, you can pretty much achieve anything, mm. <laughs> you know, talk to anybody, hang with anybody. Once you become an asshole, like nobody wants to be with you anymore. I respect that. Um, and people should follow you. So I guess to end, how can people follow you? Because you're one of my favorite people to follow on Facebook and Instagram. And um, Yeah, Facebook is just my name. Or you can go to New York Combat Sambo. We have a business page. And then um, Instagram, Twitter, everywhere is Sambo Steve. That's just everywhere. Just search for Sambo Steve, one word. We have the Vimeo channel. You can go to nycombatsambo.com. We have a uh, subscription channel where there's hundreds of now there's hundreds of videos i started at the beginning of the pandemic of the lockdown but now i'm just keeping it going it's another thing that i wanted to do for a while that the covid pandemic gave me an opportunity to finally do it was to set up a a subscription channel so basically i so now what i do is i record all the instructional portions of our classes and twice a week i put them up on the on the channel so all the students at the school get a vip code so everything we're that I'm teaching in the classes goes up on the channel and they have a permanent record of it. It can always go for reference, but for people who aren't in the school, they can actually subscribe to the channel and, and get that content as well. Mm. So you've got, you've got all our lessons from class. And then I've also got about 60 episodes of coach sessions. Like during when we were closed, I, I mean, I have like 20 years of grappling matches on video. So I started doing match breakdowns. So I have about 60 episode of coach sessions where I break down matches, MMA fights, grappling matches, jujitsu matches, and um, lots of other instructional content too, like seminars that I've had that I had never published before are up there. For the last several months now, we started putting up the class content, which is like the long-term goal for the channel. It's just going to be like a subscription channel where you can basically train with us, even if you're not in New York or not in the gym. Very cool. That's, that's like 10 bucks a month. Wow. All and, right. and for anybody visiting New York, the gym is located right in Midtown Manhattan. <laughs> yeah, right in Hell's Kitchen, along with all the junkies and criminals that are out there right now. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you can learn how to fight and then walk, feel safe walking yeah. out. <laughs> that's 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 my that's my plan, right? I'm gonna I need to train people to defend themselves, but in order to get that training, they have to go through like one of the most dangerous parts of Midtown. So yeah. Hell's Kitchen is is very dangerous right now. So, wow, you know, up on 8th Avenue, you've got four of the hotels between 36th Street, which is where we are, and up into the 50s. Four of those hotels became homeless shelters like during during COVID. Mm. And then just the lack of workforce, the lack of tourism, you know, it's it's exponentially increased the danger level on the streets, wow. you know. Like the one of the other nights, me and one of the students, David, we were walking to the train after at the end of the night and some unmanaged, mentally ill guy uh, tried to swing a baseball bat at us going into the train. Yeah. I mean, it's we had a woman on the sixth floor of our building was mugged inside our building like Mm. she she didn't uh, you know what piggybacking is, right? They follow you in the door. So she wasn't looking behind her. Some guy followed her in and then followed her up the stairs until she got between two floors on the, and uh, robbed her on the landing there. Yeah. Luckily, nothing physical. Like she just gave him what he wanted. But it's mm-hmm. like it literally the city. And this is not just Manhattan. You know, this is like the city's getting dangerous right now. So like all joking aside, like people should 
start training something right now. It's like mm. never been more important. So I'm glad you ended on that note. There are practical reasons too why we should. Yeah. I hope to see you soon, Steve. Yeah, man. But uh, yeah, thank you for everything. Thank you for joining this podcast. It means a lot. Thank you for all the teaching, all the wisdom. Oh, thanks for having me, man. It's been great. And it's great to meet you finally off a of sure dog from like 20 years ago. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's such a weird trip for me right now because you were one of like the early pioneers of just like my education and martial arts. And now to get to talk to you and meet you after all these years is pretty, pretty gnarly for me. It's pretty cool. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. Well, I'm glad, man. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you for joining us again, Steve, for sure. Yeah, my pleasure, man. It was fun. And I'll definitely be seeing you soon. Cool. All right. All right. Thank Enjoy you the much. rest of your day. Yeah, you too, man. Have a good one. All right. Thanks. It's my day off. I'm going to go chill now. <laughs> <laughs> All thanks the best. Again. All right. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Philosophy of Fighting podcast. If you have any questions, suggestions, or if you would like to fight us, send us a DM on Instagram at philosophy underscore fighting.